Welcome to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. A dream mason is a person who's brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. I know we all have a dream mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner dream mason, because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up, and welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. I am a Dream Mason, a performance and mindfulness coach. I work with leaders, creators, and innovators, those brave enough to build their dreams. If you're a high performer looking for an edge with a desire to expand your leadership, generate more money, more time, and feel more fulfilled, working with me will support you in making that life a reality. Now, if you haven't already, please support me and this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube. Follow me, Inspirational Alex, on Instagram, and please share this podcast with a friend. Welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. I am here today with a decorated combat veteran, an expert on leadership, someone who has published, uh, who has been published in the Business Solutions Magazine, has worked with over 60 companies teaching owners and managers how to lead employees, and an expert in productivity and profitability. I'm actually really excited to learn about those two in this conversation, because uh, I think all of us want a little more of that. Uh, welcome, uh, Dave Rosenberg, to the Dream Mason Co- Podcast. How are you doing? Good, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, so am I. Um, you're the. I think you might be the first. I don't know this for sure, but I think you're the first, you know, combat veteran to be on the podcast. So, thanks for your service. I don't know that being on the podcast means anything. In the in, in but uh, I like to see when I see trends. You know, I just had a, I just did a podcast with somebody who was the second person to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, the second guest I had, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. So. Wow, that is that is pretty cool. And whereas, and I have to say this, and this is not some sort of false humbleness. You know, wh- when I was in, uh, it was the first Gulf War, I was flying off a carrier, it was officially combat missions. But, you know, when you compare that to what the guys and gals and women out there are doing today, you know, who are really on the very pointy tip of the spear, um, I can't compare my service to what they're doing. It's, it's, it's night and day. They're, these, those, those men and women are out there uh, risking life and limb and protecting us. It's, it's a different world. How long ago was it when you were in combat? Uh, I guess my last uh, deployment was 1993. So was that... I was young. I mean, I was 11 years old. Was that the first Gulf War? It was So, yeah, I did two deployments. Uh, I was Desert Shield, which was the um, beginning of the Gulf, first Gulf War, which uh, we were there on the independence. And uh, when Iraq invaded Kuwait and we were the first carrier on station, uh, and I ended up actually by accident, and it, that's probably a whole podcast story, but by accident, I ended up flying the first mission uh, there I wasn't supposed to. And then I went back, and that was 1990, and then I went back in 93 on the uh, Nimitz 
for what was known as Operation Southern Watch. That was post-war, um, but we were enforcing a no-fly zone. And so that's what was, they considered that combat missions at the time. But uh, frankly, you know, we're, Iraq didn't exist as a power at that point. You know, we were subject to ground fire from uh, handheld weapons. We stayed above 10,000 feet and it's just sort of like, you know, look over the canopy and you see little light shows going on, but it's, you're in zero danger. The, the danger came from landing on the carrier, not from enemy action. What did you, um, how many years total were you in the military? Uh, just under seven. What do you think like the greatest lesson that applies to your daily life now that you took away from it? From the military? I think it's, um, I, I think it's just mission accomplishment. Just keep your eye on, on what you're trying to accomplish and keep pressing forward and get it done. You know, there's no excuses. Just make it happen. I love that. That's yeah. great. There, there's a quote. It's a, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh my God, brain is completely locked up. Winston Churchill quote, it's on all my emails. Sometimes doing your best isn't enough. Sometimes you have to do what's required. And that's the lesson. It's it's so true. We we find ourselves, um, I, I just had this conversation with uh, where it was about, um, I think when you're a kid, it's really important that we like teach children that effort is important. Because if we only look at the results, it kind of can mess with like, they only think that success, like they're only loved or whatnot if they succeed. But I think that when we're kids, like pointing to the effort we put in and the hard work and the strategies and all those things are important. But once you become an adult, you can be the hardest worker ever. If you don't actually produce the result that you're getting for, it doesn't actually matter. Yeah, I, I kind of take it a little different. I mean, we need to be process driven because we can't always control the results. Right. So you hear this a lot in sales. Anybody's out there been in sales for a long time knows, knows this, you know, do the motions, go through a process, be process driven. Um, but to me, what, what Churchill's really talking about is that extra mile, that extra step. One of the things in, in military training, it's whether you're going through SEER, which is you know, survival, evasion, resistance, escape training, it's a, you know, whatever our bodies think we can handle, we could always do a little bit more. Right. Our, our limitations are self-imposed, right? Uh, Henry Ford, whether I think I can or you think you can't, you're right. To me, it's all the same concept. So it's not really, you know, you have to be results-driven, but it's it's really saying just just saying I did my best. That's not that's not it, right? Because you've limited your I've, I've done my best. No, there is more you can do, right? And you know, there's a ton of affirmations around this, right? If you're going through hell, keep on moving. Whatever, whatever it is that gets you through the day, just mm -hmm. keep driving. Eventually, the result will be there. How did you go from, like, tell me the story. Like, how did you go from military to business leadership? Oh, wow. Um, so, got out in 1993, and it was part of the Clinton drawdown. So, that wasn't by design. Um, I was still a reserve officer, so when I got my commission, I was commissioned U.S. Naval Reserves, which means you serve at the will of the president as opposed to a regular commission where you serve at the will of Congress. So it's much more difficult to get rid of uh, regular officers. And so they used the reserves to manage force levels. So they said, thank you. We appreciate your service. We don't need you anymore. And so I started my first business, uh, uh, 
one of the guys I flew with who was uh, through Officer Canada School with me, uh, and I started a business called National Wedding Registry. So in 1993, if you think about what the internet was, it was really nascent. You know, uh, um, most people hadn't heard of it. And if you registered for your wedding, if you're, if you didn't live where you grew up, like most of us in the service. And so I got married here in San Diego. My uh, then wife, my first wife was uh, from Orange County. My family's from the East Coast. And so you register at Creighton Barrel in Mission Valley. And if anybody went anyplace else, they had no idea what you were looking for. So we wanted to solve this problem. Unfortunately, a year later, the internet had really started to coalesce. All the major department stores had created uh, you know, their own national databases. And the problem we were solving got solved by people with better and deeper pockets. But that, that was my first toe about business. I had no clue. I had a degree in mechanical engineering, got out of the, uh, you know, college and went right into the Navy. So, um, but during that process, I had discovered telecommunications. I thought this was some pretty cool stuff. I remember I actually said to um, my business partner at the time, I said, if this doesn't work out, I want to be the guy painting the yellow line down the information highway. And okay. so uh, you know, we shut down operations and I got a job selling business phone systems uh, for a local company here and had a modicum of success, decided I needed to move on to a competitor, a larger competitor. I did that. After a couple of years, I ended up getting promoted to VP of operations. So, so this was like turn of the millennial. So like 2000. So fast forward a couple of years, I've been running an operation. So now I was there. I knew how to sell. I came up through sales and I was very good at it. I knew how to install it. I thought, why am I doing this for somebody else? You know, I was making an hour or 10% commission. I can make all of it, you know, if I just work for me. So and this is probably not an unusual story for most people. So I, uh, I set off. I started my, my second business, a company called Delta V Communication in 2003. And I grew that uh, until 2009 when the economic world came to a grinding and sudden halt for those of us who were in business at the time. They they used to describe it as like just running into a brick wall. Everything just came to a crash. And I was in a transactional business. So there was no recurring revenue. People stopped investing in technology. Um, And I got fortunate and I was able to sell my business and get out whole and put a few dollars in my pocket. At the same time, a friend of mine who was in uh, sales training had a client who was looking for somebody to run their business. One thing led to another. I found myself running a kitchen and bathroom modeling company, a fairly sizable company there. Um, I guess all that sales experience paid off. I sold myself on that job. Um, ran that for a while. Uh, that company eventually um, went away and I got another job running a moving and storage company. I ran that for a number of years, turned that company around, and then it got sold uh, in end of 2013. So you know, here I am, north of 50, uh, trying to figure out what I want to do with myself. And I got a job with a company out of Chicago doing small business consulting, where they would find me all over the country. I'd go to the smallest little podunk towns in the country. It's, I mean, this country is beautiful. These are great places. But I mean, you fly into like a major airport and drive three hours and get there at one o'clock in the morning for an eight o'clock meeting. And my job was to assess these companies and figure out why they weren't doing as well as they should. 
show the owner what this problems were and ask them if they wanted to solve them themselves or engage us to do it. And, uh, so I did that for a number of months um, and realized two things. Uh, the most important one was this company wasn't about helping the client. It was about maximizing billable hours. And I, second thing I realized was that I actually knew what I was doing. I'm like, wow, I, I learned a lot over the last 20 years in business. You don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what other people know. Companies and people uh, who on the surface seemed like they had a lot more experience than I did. Um, but it was one year experience 20 times, not 20 years of experience where I was fortunate enough to have some good mentors and I learned a thing or two. And so um, I decided to continue consulting on my own here in San Diego. And I launched um, a Locked On Leadership. At the time, it wasn't called that, but what the company became Locked On Leadership. And I realized that the big difference was the leadership. That's where people don't understand. So you have all this business experience, whether it be developing your own or working for someone else and, and doing it. And then you have this military experience. And at this point, you're like, I'm actually going to start my own leadership business, which you eventually became locked on leadership. What's the thing that um, there's a lot of people that do business consulting. Why is like, what's the leadership con component that you provide that you think is missing from maybe other people or other systems? You know, that, that's, that's a great question. Um, I call it practical, tactical leadership. So most of the leadership work that I've seen comes in one of two veins. It's either a 30,000 foot view of business leadership, kind of from the C-suite, right? Here's, here's how you lead a company with your vision. You can be the next Steve Jobs or, you know, whomever you, know, you like from a business perspective. And it, but it doesn't talk about the day-to-day -day activities, behaviors that if you engage in them, have an impact that make you a leader. The other thing that I find missing is a really comprehensive leadership strategy. Um, with the exception of John Maxwell, and even there, and I mean, John Maxwell's got some great stuff, so I don't want anybody hearing this going like, I'm poo-pooing John Maxwell. Not at all. He, this stuff is brilliant. And if you look at it from what he's saying, it dovetails in many ways with what I'm saying, because there's nothing new under the sun. It's, it's what direction do you come at it from? What's your paradigm? But I personally work best when I know what is my strategic objective and then what are the tactics I want to employ to achieve that objective and then what are the skills I need to affect the tactics to achieve my strategic objective, right? So it's this very sort of granular. Um, you start with the big picture, but where I want to focus is the tactics and the skills and how do they apply to the strategy. So you know, John Maxwell, his, his whole thing is, you know, the job of a leader is to create leaders. Absolutely 100% right. And he has these 21 laws. But what happens when you're in a situation and you can't go, how do I apply a law, right? So I want to help people understand what is what are their tactical objectives at different stages so you can um, ad lib. And, and, you know, in, in military, they say a, a combat plan doesn't survive contact with the enemy, right? <laughs> yeah. The military is, uh, you know, it, combat is a true democracy and the enemy gets a vote. 
And that's true in business, right? We have all these other factors. You come up with this plan, but you have your competitors, you have your vendors, you have your employees, everyone's getting a vote. And how they implement what you're trying to do can very well, well affect your plan, right? So, so a plan is just something to deviate from. Um, and so as a leader, if you don't know what your end game is, what your objective is, when you have to ad lib, you're kind of out there. I'm not sure what the best thing to do. So I want to provide that to people. One of the things you said that I really get, and I, I talk about it different in my practice, but it just sounds so similar is, you know, you talk about like deviating from the plan and that everyone gets a vote. And I always hear this and talk about it in the sense of um, circumstances. Life is circumstances. People die, people get sick, there's a tornado, there's a hurricane, car accidents happen. Like none of these things are weird. When somebody's like, well, I didn't do that thing I said I was gonna do because someone died. Now we, we have empathy, we have compassion, we, we, we support them and, and that, and we know people die. It's not weird that people die. Now there are times where it may be more, more random than others, but we know that getting sick is a part of life. Dying is a part of life. A car accident is just a part of life. None of this is, you know, unless a meteorite hits your house, pretty much everything that's happening is circumstantial and is happening all the time to people all over. Uh, so I love like the way you talk about it is very kind of specific. Like, hey, you have a plan and you have a goal. And if you're going to achieve and be successful, you got to figure out a way to do it regardless of what shows up. The military doesn't stop their they're, you know, one of the, a plan that they have or an objective because it didn't go the way that they thought it was going to go. They don't just pack up and go, Hey, let's go home. This didn't, it didn't follow the plan. Yeah. There's a great, uh, eighties movie when uh, you're too young to remember, um, you know, in the seventies, of course, the military was really vilified because of the Vietnam war and in the late seventies, early eighties, that started to turn around. And Clint Eastwood made a movie called Heartbreak Ridge, uh, where he's this old grizzled gunnery sergeant and he takes over a recon platoon uh, of misfits. And he's always saying, adapt, improvise. You know, that's, that's, that's the point here is that um, we can't control what happens to us. We can only control how we react to it. But how we react to it is going to be informed by how much forethought we've given what our plan is, what our understanding is of our objectives and strategies, what in the military they call the commander's intent, right? Which you may be the commander, but you know, what is it what is it ultimately we want to do and how do I affect that in the most positive, effective way possible at the time? And and thinking about that ahead of time, not under pressure, but when you have the time to go, um, you know what, if this happens, here's how I think I'm going to react to it. And then you know, 87% of that happens and 13 of it is different, 13% is different, you at least have a framework from which to work from because you've thought about it. You're not in that oh, panic moment where it's like, oh my God, things went wrong. It's like, okay, I foresaw this. Now, I, I, here's, here's an example, real life example. We all remember the raid on Ben Laden you know, when he was uh, captured, right? So uh, mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember the book I was reading, Um that was describing this. So uh, this is like third-hand knowledge to a book, just for the record. <laughs> but, you know, the, uh, the SEALs, the Team 6, uh, the, the uh, Master Chief Petty Officer of all the SEAL teams when he was uh, talking to National Command Authority about this mission, is they wanted him to use these stealth helicopters that had never been tested. And he said, no, I'm sorry, this, this is a bad idea. They've never been 
they're not combat proven. And remember what happened to Delta Force and the Iran hostage you know, crisis when the helicopters went down and he was told under no uncertain terms, no, you're using them. So, okay, he has his orders and he planned for what would happen when they had a problem. No, if everything went great. They, they, they ran that mission, but countless, countless times they practiced, okay, what happens if it you know, crashes here, crashes here? Well, guess what? They ran the mission and the first helicopter into the compound because of the walls of the compound were solid and the one they were practicing in had chain link fence. The wind patterns were different, helicopter crashes, okay? They had practiced this so many times that without missing a beat, the seals just float into, no, it didn't happen exactly the way they practiced it, but that was immaterial. They had come up close enough in their scenarios that they just immediately float into that scenario. They'd been there, done that. And we can do that in our heads with everything. We should always be asking ourselves the what ifs in life and then just, okay, here's how I'm going to handle it. And then do the best you can. Just keep moving. Keep your feet moving. I love that. It's like we plan, we plan for the success and the thing that we would, the way we want it to go. But then we prepare for the things that might happen. I think I don't I don't love the idea of planning for the disaster because I think we get in a lot of times we get what we plan for. And I just heard like, hey, plan for success and then prepare for all the circumstances that can show up. And then you really got all your bases covered, whether you're we're talking about a business or we're talking about, you know, a date or um, being in the military, (laughs) you know, things go wrong. Yeah, I had heard this years ago, just in life, like you're afraid to do something, whatever, or circumstances comes up and you're like, oh my God, this is just terrible. Like, you know, I could die, whatever. And uh, the technique was, okay, accept the worst. Okay, what's the worst that can happen? Maybe I die. Well, I mean, I don't want to die. But okay, accept that. And then figure out your plan to minimize the chances of that happening. And chances are whatever comes out, is probably going to be better than the worst case. But mentally, if you've already accepted that worst case scenario, right, you're going to come out ahead. Yeah. And most of us outside of a military conversation are not actually, and, and I, always, I always say like most people listening to this are not actually talking life or death and the risks they're taking. Exactly. You know, life and death is not even on the table as an option. Um, unless they get hit by a car walking to the meeting that they're afraid to go to. Um, so you said something to me when we were talking before we, we hopped on here, which was the universe will tell you. And I love this. I loved this. It, it totally resonates with me. I believe it. Um, but I'd love to hear more because I don't, I think this is a great conversation for people that are, that are out in the world. And I think you explained it really well. Will you kind of, Share your insights. Sure. Um, I think you need to go back with some history. So as I shared with you, uh, freshman year of college was the best three years of my life. And uh, right now I'm sure there are people chuckling at that. And unfortunately, that's not hyperbole. Um, I I got accepted to college uh, a year early instead of my senior year of high school. And I was way too immature for that. It should never have gone. But frankly, when I visited the campus, there were some good-looking college girls sunbathing in May. And that was all it took for a 17-year-old boy to say, I want to go there. So next year, I show myself, I check at University of Delaware, and I saw way too many sunrises and not enough classroom. And so three years later, um, 
from getting kicked out of school. And I got a job with my then girlfriend's father as an electrician. I went and moved out of the house. And so far, it sounds great. But the reality is I was doing some really bad things. I mean, I had a job, but I was engaging in some really bad, destructive behavior. And it seems like the more I did it, the more bad things happened. Okay. And it was just, I just oh, I'm just going through a rough patch of my life. And I, I honestly don't remember that there was a precipitating event, but at some point I'm just like, you know, I just got to get my stuff together. This is not how I envisioned my life going at 21 years old, you know, and I sucked it up and I moved back home, which I you know, didn't want to do, right? Nobody wants to move home when you moved out of the house, especially at that age. And you really got to, you know, uh, check your ego to do something like that. For, and for a young man growing up in Philadelphia, you know, yo, Philly, you know, that was a hard thing to do. I moved back home and uh, I, I, I got a job and I worked my tail off to get accepted to Temple University full-time. I went to night school. I worked a horrendous job, um, you know, eight, 10, 12 days in a row because my parents were done. My dad was a school teacher. I didn't have any more money. They couldn't pay a darn penny for me to go to school. So it's all on me at this point, and I had nothing. And uh, uh, fall of uh, 1993, uh, the Temple of Missions says, you finish these one one more class, this class you need, uh, it was a math class at, at, at Drexel, we'll accept you into the Temple Engineering program in the spring. And so I did, I got accepted, and I walked into school, and I remember thinking, I need to get a job because I'm paying for this myself. And I had worked as a draftsman sort of on the backside at the end of University of Delaware when I was getting kicked out. I was working as a draftsman for an engineering company and things sort of went downhill from there. I'd lost that job. They had closed the office. So I, I knew I had this skill that could pay a you know, decent job while I was in college, but I didn't know anybody. And I walked in with my uh, roll of drawings that I had saved, a portfolio, and I went up to these strange professors who didn't know me from Adam and I said, I'm looking forward as a draftsman. Do you know any engineers who are hiring? And, Within a week, I had a job with one of the preeminent uh, HVAC engineers in the country who happened to be based out of Philadelphia. Um, I had been on training in martial arts when I was 13 because I was a punk-ass kid. I got kicked out of my dojo um, from my instructor. A week after that, I found another school in the same exact style, in the same family, okay, to train at. And all of a sudden, things started happening right. And I'm like, huh, this is odd. Maybe this is the place I'm going to be. I need to be. And uh, I started noticing that pattern repeating in life. Um, and I realized that when you make, when you follow, first of all, you follow your heart. This is number one. I, I, and this is something that took me 30 years to figure out. All those decisions were decisions of the heart, right? I don't mean like love decisions. I mean, they felt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And when I did that, the universe would say, good job. And I would get some little reward, other things in my life that were not connected, that I could find no uh, logical way of that happened. All of a sudden, it would start happening right alongside of that. And my life would enrich extra beyond whatever the good decision I made. And Good decisions got rewarded. And 
The other thing, I'll, I'll tell this story too, and it's, it's not a story I'm proud of um, other than the fact that I saw it. The universe will do the opposite. It will let you know when you made a bad decision. Um, so fast forward, um, in that first telecom job I was talking about, I met some guy uh, who uh, had a boat uh, down at Mission Beach and I was Mission Bay and I was sailing with him a lot. And I met a woman at the yacht club uh, after, after we were sailing. She was there with her husband in their boat. And uh, long story short, she came on to me and we were going to connect. And we we're going to connect uh, on, a, on, she was taking a tr trip to Las Vegas and she was going to come over to my place. And I was driving home on a Monday and I was driving home on a Sunday before this in a very light rain. And all of a sudden my car just started spinning out on the 15th. Literally, 15 North, and it's just doing donuts. I ended up in the median, the one section where there was grass and not some sort of wall. And I came across, I'm like, oh, that was exciting. And I pulled out and drove back home. My heart sort of beating real fast. And I'm like, wow, that was just weird. And it just hit me out of nowhere. Like, what I'm about to do with this, even though I wasn't married, right? So, but she was. I was about to do something really wrong. And the universe had just said to me, uh-uh, this is not the right thing to do. My heart knew it. And my head knew it. I picked up the phone and I said literal words out of my mouth. Uh, yeah, you're, we're not doing this. I just got a sudden dose of morality. <laughs> she was all upset. And I hung up the phone. And that was it. And then things started continuing on, on an upward check for me. And that's when I realized you just do. My, my last skipper used to say this. And this is when it resonated. Do right things and things happen right. And uh, Luke Lukauer was the skipper. He used to say that. And that's when it all started coming home for me, you know. And, and yeah. so the universe will tell you what's right and what's wrong. You just got to open yourself up and listen to it. Yeah, and it's funny. Like it shows you've told me that story before, and it shows us. It's funny because sometimes it shows us in really subtle ways, right? And you really got to have your eyes open. And sometimes. It shows us in very like punchy right in the nose kind of ways. And you shared that story with me after I had shared the story with you where I fell asleep while driving on the 405 and luckily totaled my car. It wasn't even my car. I was borrowing the car, but totaled the car, didn't hit anyone. Nobody hit me. I mean, I, I would, didn't have a scratch or a bruise on my body, but the situation had me open my eyes to the value of my life. That at that point, I still didn't think I had value or that I was important. And in the next 24 hours, the amount of people that contacted me and shared with me that they loved me and that they're so happy I was okay. It was like the universe just came and kind of slapped me across the face a bunch of times to say, hey, you like actually matter. And, the, and there's consequences to your actions. You shouldn't, I wasn't drunk. I wasn't doing anything irresponsible, but I had, I think I had worked four straight days of like 18 hour days. And I was like, oh, I'll just get back to LA tonight. Um, and it was kind of like, hey, there's consequences for all of our actions. And we don't always think the consequences are, we don't, we're just not always open to them, right? Like driving late at night after long days of work, there's a consequence. You might fall asleep. You might not be as aware. And I think it had me look at my life very differently besides the value actually go, hey, when we choose things, we accept the consequences with the benefits, right? Benefit is I would have got back sooner. Consequence, maybe fall asleep. Um, you know, 
But uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think the other thing that I got when you were sharing that story about the universe is, um, you know, whether it be God or the universe or, you know, a man in the heavens with Tic Tacs, like whatever you believe, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's an energy. It's kind of like a, um, it's, it's, if we are putting out good energy, we end up, it's not magic. Like, right. If we're putting out good energy, good people want to be around us and, and people that aren't doing good or positive things don't want to be around us and vice versa. So it's not this like magical thing that's happening. It actually makes sense when we look at it, but I think at the time it feels like it sometimes that it's magical. Yeah, I think uh, the psychiatrist or psychologist, they call it confirmation bias. It's a little bit of that, you know, where where you, you just start, see, you put out good energy, you're in a good place, you, you start seeing people like that. And then we are attracted to people like us. Okay, it's just that simple. So uh, every salesperson in the world knows that, you know, we create rapport by mirroring people, right? There's techniques you can, you can abuse that and you can, you know, there are techniques you can do to, to make people like you to be more charismatic. And in fact, I share some of that in my, my leadership training because the more people like us, the more open they are to our suggestions and our guidance or leadership. As long as you're not coming from a place of manipulation, you're coming from a place of love and caring, then there, I, I see nothing wrong with that because you want to make that connection. But to your point, when you're positive, other positive people feel that energy and they go, this person's like me. I like hanging out with people like me, you know? And so, you know, especially when you love yourself, right? Because then you also love other yeah. people love like you. There's one other thing that I want to say about, you know, the universe, uh, universal law. I don't know what else to call it. You know, God's law, universal law. Again, like you said, you, your belief, this is immaterial of your belief structure. You know, uh, I, I personally do believe in God. And, but this happens so you know, I could be wrong. I, I could be wrong. It still happens, right? So, and that's the universe will give you the lesson you need right now. Every time, all the time. It is going to teach you the most important. In your case, it was that you're loved, right? The universe taught you that you're loved. Here's the thing. It doesn't stop. So what happens is it gives you a test. It retests you. So this is what I've noticed. And it probably continues on beyond two, but you'll understand in a second why I say it stops at two. So it gives you this test. In this case, you are truly loved, right? In my case, you know, I have to do the right thing. I have to be an honorable person, right? Uh, it's not just about the fact that I wasn't doing anything wrong because I wasn't married. I was helping somebody else engage in wrong action and I can't do anything. I can't be part of that, right? That was for me, that was the lesson. Um, I passed it. But that doesn't mean, okay, you've passed. The universe will come back a second time with the same lesson in a different way. And I couldn't tell you what it was because the second time you are sometimes not even aware of it. Sometimes you see it and you go, oh yeah, and they're done this. I know the right road. And you don't really give it a lot of thought because it's not as impactful. But that second time's a test. And some people, sometimes they go, they, they fail the second test. And then, okay, we're going to keep setting this lesson at you until you get it. And some people never get it. But those of us, when we do get it, that doesn't mean that lesson doesn't keep coming. It's just, it's easy, right? We, we already know, we've already passed it. We already know it. So it's like, we don't even see it. It doesn't mean anything to us, right? But, but it still keeps coming. And then guess what? There'll be another one because now we're ready to grow again. And so some other lesson needs to get taught to us. Yeah, I love that. It's so, it's so powerful. It's so palpable. It's also just really, to your point, like it doesn't, it's true. 
like we can deny it, but you know, I always see it with, with my clients, you know, you do, you focus a lot more with your clients on strict business. And I, and I look at kind of people's whole lives and uh, I point this out to a lot of my clients. And I think I've talked about it on the podcast before about the patterns and behaviors we do, they keep showing up and we can't see our own. We can't see like until we become very conscious to it and open to it. It's you see it with women and men. They date the same person in, diff- in a different shell over and over and over. And they wonder why they keep getting the same result. Well, they didn't, they didn't see the red flag every single time or see that the conversation was the same or that the background of the, but, and, and, you know, I think the stereotype is we hear, we, we hear specifically like um, women talking about it, about men, like, Oh, another jerk. And it was like, there's a reason you keep getting jerks. And it's not because you just keep bumping into them at the store. And we could say this about anything, right? I notice it with people with jobs, same bad boss, no matter where job they get, they get a bad boss. And I don't think that everyone that works for all of those bosses would relate to them that way. But for them, that's the experience of life. And it's actually to your, you know, to your point earlier in this conversation, life is happening and it's up to us what we do with it. So whether it's the bad boss or the, the bad dating situation, we have to then choose, hey, this keeps happening. Why does this keep happening to me? I got to do something different. Yeah, bad boss, bad kids, bad pets, right? It, it, <laughs> it, it's endless. It's endless. You know, and it's funny. We really, in many ways, are in the same business. It's, for me, I came to the realization that, you know, we spend, depending on how you want to look at it, 40 to 50% of our life at, at the office, at work, whatever it may be, right? So if we're not happy there, we're miserable. I mean, it, it, it impacts every aspect of our life. You come home, you're tired, you don't have the energy for the wife, you don't have energy for the kids, you don't have energy for your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. You don't have energy for yourself, right? You're just wasted and, and worn out. If I can help managers to be leaders, if I can help leaders be better leaders, if I can help business people inspire and put teams together that look forward to every day, that get energized from the work they do, right? Um, then not only am I impacting those managers and leaders, but every one of their employees direct reports their team members, their families, right? It's the ripple effect is just enormous. And, and, and so I'm, I'm on a mission and that's, that's what I want to do. And I want to, I want to empower people and I want to replace, thank God it's Friday with thank God it's Monday. So uh, I have this, if you wake up on a Monday and you're not actually excited, there, you're, there's something wrong because and I'm not saying that, Hey, we all love to get good rest and whatnot, but Monday is the beginning if you're not excited at the beginning of something, there's a problem, right? Cause that's, that is the, I mean, if we think about like a new job, a new relationship, we should be the most excited at the beginning. It doesn't mean we're not nervous, but when we wake up on a Monday and we're like, Oh, it's Monday. That should be your number one sign. Hey, something's got to change. Um, and, and to your point, I think it's great. Like I love the end of my days. I love what I do. And I love the end of my days, but it's not from a, I hate what I do. Thank God. I don't have to do it for a couple of days or, or whatnot it's it's one of those listening you can get so much value listening to the conversations you either say out loud or have in your head yeah and, and frankly you can't appreciate the beginning of the day if you don't have the night <laughs> yeah obviously that's great um 
So a lot of people that listen to this podcast are building businesses, they're building dreams, they're working on big goals. Um, some of them might be independent, you know, working on it by themselves. Some, I personally work with a lot of entrepreneurs who, um, you know, may have one or two employees, but they have a bigger vision. If you were talking to these people and you were giving people some general advice about leadership and management, are there kind of some general things that you think pretty much apply to all of us all the time? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, there's three underpinnings. These are the essentials. These must exist. Okay. Nothing else matters without these three things. Okay. Number one, you have to care. You have to care about your people. The mistake people make is they think that means being friends with them. No, your job is not to be friends. Your job is to be respected. People will like you. People, oh, if they only they like me, right? And then then they bow, bend over backwards and then they get walked all over because their goal is just focus is completely wrong, right? But you have to care. You have to actually care about people. And if, if as a leader, we can help them overcome the things that are interfering with their ability to do their job well, people want to do their job well. So just, just help them figure that out. Um, so you have to care. You have to have absolute integrity. And when I say integrity, most people don't really understand. They say, well, what's integrity? And, you know, what's, what's a stock response? And you and I have not rehearsed this, Alex, but if I said to you, what's integrity, what's, what's your answer? Uh, my answer is that your thoughts, your actions, and your commitments are all in alignment. And you're speaking. And you, you nailed it. What most people say is well, integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's watching, right? And <laughs> you know, I think that's a poster or something. And, you know, I guess you would say that's, that, that certainly can represent integrity. But integrity is what you just described, right? Integrity is acting as an integral whole. So we have beliefs, right? So those beliefs aren't right or wrong. They're just beliefs. And then we, we sort those beliefs in order of priority of what's important to us. And those are our values. That's why we call them values, right? Because we put a value to this belief. This is our number one belief. I value, I value candor and honesty more than anything else, right? I value right, intelligence. I value thoughtfulness, right? These are things that I value, okay? Those are, those are my values, right? And that's probably, I haven't figured out the exact order, right? But that's what we use the word values. These are the, the beliefs that we hold the most high. Right. And those then generate our morals, which are, are the rules we use to determine right from wrong. And I think the more refined that is, you hear a lot about gray. I'm not a big believer in gray. I don't I don't I don't say it doesn't exist, but it's a pencil thin line. OK, most of the time I can go that's right or that's wrong. You know, it's very rarely is am I going, like, eh, you know, and, and I think the more focus we can be on our beliefs and our values, the better our moral structure becomes and the more right and wrong and that becomes. And once we have all that, integrity is when our actions are in line with all of that, right? So if you picture that as a circle, your morals, beliefs, values, you know, as a circle of who we are, when our actions are in line with that, we are now acting as an integral whole. And that's integrity. We have integrity, right? We talk about the integrity of the ship, the whole of the ship. It's not breached. It's solid, right? A submarine hole, right? Mm -hmm. Or or an aircraft or whatever. We need to have that sort of integrity. Now, our team can count on us, okay? And we can be caustic and we can be not particularly, um, we speak not well and speak not nicely, but if we're consistent and we have integrity, 
there are people who will be okay in that environment. Maybe not me, maybe not you, maybe not some. There are people and they'll thrive in that environment because they know what to expect. So if you do nothing else, oh, the third thing you need is courage because your integrity is going to get tested. We already talked about that. Guarantee your integrity is going to be tested. And if you don't have the courage to maintain your values during those tests, in spite of the fact that it may appear that you're going to lose out, because that's how the test is going to come. The test is going to be, you're going to lose out personally, or you're going to maintain your integrity. Okay? And if you maintain your integrity, it's going to cost you. The reality is it never costs you. In the long run, I promise you, it will never cost you. It will only cost you if you sell out your integrity. Because now you've lost your integrity and you've lost everything. If you do those three things, don't talk to me about leadership, you'll be fine. Okay, now I can help you elevate that and expand that. And we can go beyond that and I can give you some visions and stuff like that. But those are the three things that without them, I can't help you. Thank you. You laid it out. First of all, you laid it out really simple and perfect. Um, I don't, I, I would agree with all those and you say it different than I would say them. The thing that I, that I really like about how you described it is they're all personal, right? Like this is a structure that every person has to decide how it fits in for them, right? Like when you said, I decide what's right and wrong, every person has to make their own choices of right and wrong. There's not the, you know, Dave Rosenberg or Alex Terranova book of list of all the things that are right and wrong. It's your life. At the end of the day, you have to look yourself in the mirror and feel good about the choice or decide to feel bad about the choices that you made. Um, but I love that. I also like how they build off each other, the care, the integrity, and then the courage kind of holds it all together. That's awesome. So I have some rapid fires for you. All right. I'm uh, ready. Yeah. You gotta get ready. If you could work with anybody on their business, anyone in the world, any business, any company, is there a company or a business or a, a person that you're like, oh, I would kill, that, that would be the person, I would love to work with them? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, uh, Tony Shade Zappos. Um, I mean, I don't know what's going on with his, uh, his I don't wanna insult by saying experiment in holacracy, but they're changed to holacracy. I don't know if you're familiar with the whole uh, uh, teal management movement that, that he's embracing. But he's a visionary and his ability to to see the understand and see the future and understand the importance of people. The, the things that they've set up at Zappos um, are absolutely fantastic. And it shows in, in the company, a uh, great company to do business with. And I would just, yeah, I, I think that that's a great organization. Awesome. Um, what's a goal or a project that you're working on, that you're like actually confronted by, scared of, struggling with, or challenged by? Um, I mean, I, I, up until the qualifiers there, you know, uh, because I'm not, not a big fan of one admitting fear. Yeah, not saying I don't, <laughs> not saying I don't suffer fear, right? Right. But courage courage is moving forward in the face of fear, not, not having it. Right. So mm -hmm. I kind of look forward to, to challenging myself that way because it gets the chance to test my, my, my courage, kind of walk the walk. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book, uh, right now it's taken longer than I wanted to, but on the other hand, it's coming out better than I ever dreamed. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, those are, those are two things that's pretty exciting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working, uh, I'm actually developing an online program that, all right, so here's the question, right? Do I push myself and say first quarter next year or do I give myself a little wiggle room and say second quarter next year? But but uh, I'd like to get it launched first quarter of 2019. Uh, not sure that I want to burn those boats right now and play Cortez on that one, but but certainly by June of 2019, June 30th, 2019, I want this online course to be what going. What I love about your answer is it it actually just demonstrates your humanity. That even though, you know, people, I think this is just something that people don't see is that you can do what you do. You can do what I do. You can be anyone and anyone in the world who has these strategies, this techniques and these tools, and we're still human and that we're not perfect and we still have stuff and we're still working on ourselves just like everyone else's or anyone that chooses to. Um, we're all barefoot coppers. <laughs> that's great. Yep. Um so the last question, which is probably going to be a little bit, a little bit longer of an answer. So you don't have to rapid fire the answer, but, um, you know, I talked about at the very beginning, you're an expert in productivity and profitability. Now, I think everything we've talked about plays into that. But if, again, if we, if we were looking at like, Hey, what's the, what's the, the tip, the, um, the journey, the story that you would give us to that anyone could take away and help us increase our productivity or our profitability or both? Is there something you have around that? I think it's let your team do the work. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see myself as truly a productivity and profitability expert. I see myself as a practical, tactical leadership expert. Um, and, you know, as leaders, business leaders especially, Right. It's a little different in nonprofits, a little different in sort of volunteer organizations. But as business leaders, we have 51% of them, which means we're the last ones to cast. And I think this is the big mistake that people make is they, they cast our vote first. And the problem with doing that is even if it's couched in a, uh, as a suggestion, uh, I've got a client who's a former uh, army sergeant. He runs a, a small company. And he'll always say, you know, here's a suggestion I have. And he'll start, he doesn't do this anymore. Waiting for Chip to get out of there. So she was starting to bark. Um, so, so he has this, he doesn't do this anymore, but he'll, he'll say, I have a suggestion. And he'll do it in the beginning of the meeting when you're trying to solve a problem. And then everyone's, okay, I hear, he hears suggestion, they hear order. Right. Because it's coming from the boss. And so sit back, present the problem, present the guidelines, parameters for a solution, our solution. If, if, if applicable, sometimes it's not. Our solution should fit these criteria. And then ask the question, how do we solve this problem? Now, when you do this, there's one of three three things. I think it's three. We'll find out in a second that, that happened. Right. Either A, the team comes up with a solution you never thought of that's better than anything you ever considered. That's absolutely the, 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 the you know, the, the, the bee's knees, the cat's meow, whatever you want to call it. And you're like, going, wow, this is great. Okay, guys, make it happen. And not only did you not have to put any skull sweat in to figure out a problem solution, but they have buy-in because they came up with it. They have ownership of it. So that's wonderful, right? That's, that's the best. 
sometimes they come up with a solution that you're going, um, that's really not going to work. And you modify it and you tell them why and they modify it, but still same thing, right? They've now bought into it. Sometimes they come up with a completely unworkable solution that you try and I've had to get blue in the face. I can't get you to buy off where that's not going to happen. So then you go, okay, well, here's the way I see it. This is the way we need to do it. And then what happens though is they'll go, okay, if we're going to do it that way, can we modify this? Can we modify that? Right? So they still have ownership in it and they avoid you making a pitfall problem. And they'll last. So I guess it's four. That's the answer. Four, four possible is that they don't do that and you just dictate the solution. But that's the last because you're 51% of the vote. So you don't have to cast that vote first. And when you do that, the solutions are going to get implemented faster. They're going to be implemented better. Your people are going to be happier, right? And you're, you're going to be more productive. The profitability comes from engaged employees. So Gallup did a um, survey and they said, they found out, this is like 2013 or 14, two out of every three employees in the United States are not engaged, costing the U.S. economy $500 billion. That's half a trillion dollars. That's 2.5% of our economy of gross domestic product lost from disengagement. So you want to be more profitable? Get your employees more engaged. Get them more involved. Make them thank God it's Monday because they're excited about coming to work because they're participating in something that means something to them. Then go back and smoke your cigar and be the big shot and enjoy Dave, <laughs> thank you so much for, um, thanks for sharing your story, your life, these examples. You actually gave, I want to say like tangible practices and things that people could actually look at their business and go, hey, am I doing this? Am I not doing this? How, what can I incorporate? So thanks for the, um, thanks for the generosity of sharing your wisdom and your tactics with an, a new audience. Uh, I appreciate your time and, uh, just all the stories you tell. There's a lot of wisdom on your end over there. Um, how, what's the best way for people to reach out to you and connect to you? Sure. Um, first of all, welcome to give me a call. Uh, I put my number out there. It's 619-992-9749. That comes directly to me. If I'm not available, I'll go to voicemail, but I promise I'll call you back. But if you want to check out more, uh, I have a website, www.lockedonleadership.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, well, Instagram is at Locked On Leaders. Twitter's at Locked On Leaders. Facebook, uh, Locked On Leadership uh, has its own page as well as you know, find the right Dave Rosenberg. There's only about 10 billion of us on Facebook. Um, LinkedIn as well. And then um, I have, uh, in, in addition to the LockedOnLeadership.com webpage, which is really geared for anybody who's looking for speakers or workshops, if you're looking for business coaching, I have LockedOnProfits.com as another webpage, uh, but you get to me through any of those. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, I'm trying to put out a couple of vlogs, a couple of videos a month uh, on that. And uh, so uh, subscribe and uh, let me know what you want to learn about. I'm happy to do a, do a vlog on that. Well, if somebody can't figure out how to find you with all those resources, they need to hire one of us to help them <laughs> get a little more organized. Um, hey, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate you. Alex, pleasure. Um, this has been great. And I, I, uh, anything I can do to help you in the future, don't hesitate to ask. Thanks, Dave. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dream Mason Podcast. Please subscribe to the Dream Mason Podcast so you don't miss an episode. Share it with a friend and give us a review on iTunes. I am grateful to have had you here. If you want more, you can follow or reach out to me, Alex Terranova, on Instagram at inspirationalalex or at thedreammason.com or email me at alex at thedreammason.com. And remember, you are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves. Just can't stand by myself. Just can't